And uh, tonight we're doing something a, a little bit different in that we're focusing almost exclusively on one, uh, one passage, one text uh, of Scripture, uh, and that's Ephesians 4, 7 through 16. Now let's, uh, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you as we gather on a Wednesday evening. Thank you for your redeeming grace, for the demonstration of your love and pity to us in the gospel. And as we come, we are a needy people, and we want your word to come once again in power and in conviction that you'd add the blessing of the Holy Spirit to illuminate the Word and, and bring it to life and vitality. We ask for your grace as we study this passage together, as we try to discern something more of the nature of the church. Thank you for the bride of Christ. Thank you for the body of Christ. Thank you for this building in which we are a part and pray this evening for uh, an insight again into that uh, part that we play uh, in the corporate body of Christ. Uh, so bless us, we pray, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now let's read together. Uh, Ephesians 4, 7 through 16. Uh, Paul uh, begins chapter 4, the turning point, as it were, in uh, Ephesians from uh, the three chapters of a more uh, doctrinal exposition now to uh, the therefore in, in verse 1 of chapter 4, I therefore prisoner for the Lord... Uh, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling you, with which you have been called, uh, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing one another in love, and so on. Uh, and then in verse 7, but grace, uh, John Stott, I think, called this serving grace. Uh, the grace of service and, and ministry in the church. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Uh, in saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth, he who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. For building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood 
to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. I also have uh, there, uh, which we'll refer to uh, in a moment, uh, the King James version, uh, rendition, especially of verse 12, uh, for the perfecting of the saints, comma, for the work of ministry, comma, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Uh, three, uh, three separate uh, clauses describing the work of pastors, teachers, and I'll, I'll explain the difference between that translation uh, and the, uh, for example, the ESV and, and most modern um, translations and the significance of that for the topic this evening. Now, I want to say four, at least I think it's four, and then, and then uh, a fifth practical point, but I want to say four things about what this text is saying. F- first of all, that every Christian is gifted by Christ with varied grace. Right? Verse 8, uh, verse 7, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So every Christian is gifted by Christ with varied grace. Every Christian is uniquely graced. John Stott, and I I couldn't remember where, but I I think it's John Stott who says somewhere uh, that the grace here in verse 7 is serving grace, the grace of service, the grace of ministry. He's not talking about the grace of justification, the grace by which we're saved, but this is the grace of God in gifting us for, for ministry. And each Christian, every child of God, every individual member of the church is given a unique grace, a unique gift. Yeah, that's a very important point from a psychological point of view. Um, Everyone is special. That's part of the uh, problem that so many people face, uh, the feeling of uh, worthlessness, of inadequacy, of not uh, fitting, of not finding uh, significance, um, unloved, unrespected, disrespected, 
Well, this is saying that if you're a Christian, if you're, if you're saved, if you're justified, then, then a unique grace has been given to you. A grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So, so you've been graced by Christ. Uniquely so. Chosen and shaped and, and, and gifted. And, and you know, I remember when I was uh, first couple of years in ministry, I'm going back now, you know, 300 years, but, but uh, I'm going back to the mid-70s somewhere and uh, you know, wanting to be someone else, wanting to, be, wanting to have someone else's gifts or someone else's abilities and finding it, uh, finding it uh, difficult to be me. After all, who am I? And uh, I'd, I'd come from a fairly ordinary background and a fa- fairly ordinary family. And if, uh, don't let my mother hear me say that. Uh, but, uh, and, and if my mother happens to be listening, I, I love you dearly and you're very special. But that's what I felt when I was uh, you know, 19 or 20 or 21, that I'd come from a fairly ordinary background. But, uh, but here is Paul saying, as a member of the body of Christ, you are someone special. You have been gifted by Christ for a particular role and a particular reason. Now, that's worthy of uh, much expansion, but uh, I need to move on. Uh, Notice how Paul makes this a fruit of the ascension, the doctrine of the ascension of Christ. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on heights, quoting from Psalm 68 and and verse um, 18, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. The picture, of course, here is the picture of a a general, a warrior, uh, victorious in battle. uh, And he's he's bringing the spoils of war, uh, leading leading a host of captives, uh, typically, typically those... Uh, we might call them prisoners of war today, but uh, they were slaves uh, in uh, the ancient Near East, for example, and, uh, and all the spoils, and uh, typically these generals had political ambitions, and one of the things that would certainly advance you uh, in, political, uh, in your political ambition was to demonstrate your generosity uh, to the people, so you gave these spoils of war to the people as as gifts. So when he ascended on high, victorious, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. So as a result of the, of the death, burial, resurrection, ascension of Christ, he sends forth his Holy Spirit who distributes gifts. Gifts that are a product of the ministry of the Lord Jesus. These are Christ's gifts. They are his trophies. They are his war trophies. They are his battle trophies. And he gives them to you and to me. A very similar text saying much the same thing in Romans 12.6. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. So individual gifts in the context in Romans 12 of one body and many members. And all the members don't have the same function, the head then knows what is best for the body and how to distribute the gifts according to his will. 
So that's the first, uh, the first thing I want us to see from this uh, passage, that every Christian, every member of the church is gifted by Christ with, with varied grace. We don't all have the same gift, but everyone has a gift. Everyone has a usefulness. Everyone has a place. Everyone has a part to play. There are no just spectators. Uh, I think I had a quotation on the, on the front page from uh, Eric Wright uh, from a book uh, that's, uh, that's now uh, 20 years old, but, but, uh, and it's called No Spectator Sport. Uh, has a wonderful cover uh, of, uh, of folk just sitting back watching the game, but they're not actually taking part in the game. They're just, they're just couch potatoes watching this on TV. Uh, and, and sadly, that's, that's how many people think of church. They're, they're sermon tasters. They're church hoppers. Uh, they're there to see uh, what's, what does this church um, have for me? You know, or say, can you see what's in it for me? And too many people approach church that way. What has this church got to offer me or offer my family? Rather than say, how can I play a part in this church? What can I do? How can I find my role in this church? So every Christian is gifted by Christ with varied grace. That's that's lesson number one. Lesson number two from the text is this, that some Christians are gifted by Christ with special grace. Some Christians are gifted by Christ with special grace. And he mentions in verse 11, particular gifts. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, and shepherd teachers. Now, there's a question. um, uh, One of the first papers I wrote for seminary back in 1976 or maybe 77, somewhere around there, uh, was a New Testament class uh, for uh, Simon Kistemacher uh, on uh, exegeting this particular verse uh, and asking the question, are there four gifts here or are there five? He mentions apostles, prophets, evangelists, and is the last one shepherds and teachers. And are those two quite separate gifts, meaning meaning perhaps ministers and elders, perhaps, something like that? Or or is uh, shepherd uh, teachers uh, really uh, to be viewed as as one gift, uh, technically a a hendiadis? uh, shepherds who are teachers, or teachers who are also shepherds, shepherding teachers, or teaching shepherds. And you pay your money and you get your choice. And, uh, uh, you know, if you press me and if you make me squeal, I'm going to say four, uh, that shepherd teachers is, 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 one, is one office, though so I'm, I'm not going to take too much pain for it. Um, so four gifts or five, that's, a, that's an, interesting, uh, an interesting question to ask. Uh, another interesting question to ask is, are all of these gifts um, permanent gifts for the church, or, or are some of them temporary gifts? He mentions, for example, apostles, 
and prophets. Well, let's, let's take apostles. That's probably the easiest one. And, and um, there are no more apostles in the church. Now, the New Testament uses the word apostles in a strict sense, and it uses the term apostles in a, in a more general sense. Uh, certainly in the strict sense, there are no more uh, apostles in the church because one of the, one of the um, necessary qualifications of uh, an apostle is uh, that they were directly appointed by Christ to bear witness to the resurrection. And, uh, and in that sense, there are no more apostles in the church. Um, there's a question about prophets. Uh, and in our own time, for example, uh, there are those um, like, uh, like Wayne Grudem, and some of, you, some of you know Wayne Grudem's systematic theology. It's, a, it's about the only systematic theology that's available on Kindle, so a lot of people have Wayne Grudem's systematic theology on an electronic device of some kind. It's very popular. Uh, and Wayne Grudem has a, a double view of prophecy. There's a, there, there's a sense in which prophets is unique and related to the New Testament era, and, and those prophets... Uh, ceased along with the New Testament apostles. And then there's another kind of, of prophet uh, and prophetic office, if you like, that continues through uh, today. The, the, the issue involved with that is that prophets spoke for God. And when they spoke for God, they spoke infallibly. They spoke with, with sentences that began with statements like, Thus saith the Lord. Um, but are there, are there examples of prophecy? Uh, and if that's the case, and if there were continuing prophets today, then that would sort of undermine the, the, the Bible, that there was continuing revelation. There's the Bible, and then there's, there's the thus saith the Lord revelation of, of a prophetic utterance. And Wayne Grudem says, no, that kind doesn't exist anymore. But there are, there are prophets who, who, who utter utter uh, statements that, that are a mixture of truth and, and possible error, and um, the case of Agabus in the New Testament, he says, uh, fits into that second kind of prophecy. That's for another time and another place, um, but it looks to me as though this passage is saying apostles and prophets are, are temporary gifts that God gave in the infancy of the church until that point when uh, the full canon of Scripture um, uh, was, was given. Um, evangelists, are they, are they temporary gifts uh, belonging to the era of the New Testament, or are they permanent gifts? And uh, the Reformed Church, for example, has differed on that, and certainly there were uh, forefathers of ours, even, even within our denomination, um, going back 250 years now, uh, who would have argued that there were evangelists. Uh, they were sometimes called, that's my phone, <laughs> um, they were sometimes called, um, in Ireland, they were called, for some reason, coal porters, don't ask me why, um, uh, they, they, but they were, they were set apart by the church as evangelists. I think today in, uh, they would be called church planters. Uh, the, the people who went out into a, a raw sort of community 
uh, with, with very, very personable gifts of evangelism, drawing perhaps a, a dozen, 15, 20 people together. And I think, I think today you'd call that gift, uh, a gift of church planting. Uh, and then uh, the shepherd teachers, are they two different things or are they, as, as I think they are, uh, shepherds who are also teachers or teachers who are also shepherds. The point here is that these are special gifts, whether they're temporary gifts or permanent gifts, and shepherd teachers are certainly permanent gifts uh, in the church uh, uh, today. The, the point is that these are not gifts given to everybody. God gifts everybody with varied grace. So, so everybody has a gift, but not everybody has these gifts. These are gifts given to particular uh, individuals. What this is saying is that the church of Christ, the body of Christ, has structure. Uh, and I think it was David Lawton earlier this uh, semester uh, that looked into, uh, you had a lesson on um, the structure of the church in terms of uh, pastors and elders and, and deacons and, and, and so on. The church, the church has structure. There are offices in the church. Uh, the question uh, who runs the church and how is the church run? How is the church governed? Is, is, there a, is there a biblical structure for governing the church? Uh, note uh, that all of these gifts, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherd, teachers, they're all word-based gifts. Every, every single one of them are based on the word. You know, you might ask the question, um, what does the church need? You know, what does the church need the most? And Paul's answer is, well, number one, preaching, teaching, instruction. That, that's, that's the first thing it needs. It needs a lot of things, but that's, that, has to be, that has to be a priority. You know, you ask yourself the question, or some people will ask you the question, I'm looking for a church. It's an interesting statement when people say, I'm looking for a church. Um, you know, it's a box when you open it. Who knows what's going to come out? But you're, you're looking for a church. What kind of church are you looking for? What should you be looking for? What, what's number one? What's the, what's the priority? What's the most important thing that you look for in a church? And, and in terms of the gifts here, they're all word-based gifts. If the church doesn't teach, if it doesn't instruct, if it doesn't, if it doesn't open up the Scriptures, that first of all. So lesson number two is, well, lesson number one was that every Christian is gifted by Christ with varied grace. Uh, lesson number two is that some Christians are gifted by Christ with special grace. So not everybody is a, a pastor teacher. Not everybody's an elder. You know, an elder isn't something that you graduate to because you've earned it. You know, you've been in the church for 15 or 20 years and, and, and now you, you deserve to be an elder. That's not how the New Testament... This is a gift. And it's a, it's a special gift. And God may have gifted you differently and uniquely. 
and for a particular role and a special role. Now, thirdly, gifts are for the equipping of the saints, to equip the saints, verse 12. Why are these gifts, these ascension gifts, these life, death, burial, resurrection, ascension gifts of Christ to the church, what what are they for? They're for equipping the saints. God gifts everyone, and he gifts some people in particular ways, in special ways, to what end? To equip the saints. And in particular, I think, I think the equipping here is related to the special gifting of particular Christians as shepherd teachers. Why, why does God, God gift elders in the church? In order to equip the saints. Now this, this verb, equip. Uh, it's used in two quite distinct ways in the New Testament. First of all, it's used in Matthew 4.21, uh, the, the, the passage that you remember when, when uh, uh, Jesus is calling the disciples and they are mending their nets. The, the implication is that the nets are broken. They're torn. And they need to be fixed. So there's repair work to be done when something is broken. When something isn't functioning as it should and it needs repairing, God, God provides the church with gifts in order to repair. But there's a second way in which it's used in the New Testament, and that's in 1 Thessalonians 3.10, to supply what is lacking. It's the same word. To supply what is lacking. So there are, there are needs here that need to be filled. There are needs here that need to be provided for. And God's, God gifts elder, elders in the church or pastor shepherds in the church in order to fix and in order to supply what is lacking. Now, ordinary, and I, and I, you know, I was typing this uh, this morning, and, and as soon as I typed the word ordinary, I thought, what a terrible word that is to describe a Christian, or an ordinary. You know, there are, there are gifted Christians who are shepherd teachers, and then, and then there are ordinary, ordinary Christians. And, you know, we use that word all the time, and obviously I use that word all the time, and as soon as I used it, I thought I was about to delete it, and I thought, no, let me make a point of this, that no Christian is ordinary. Because the first point of this passage was that every Christian is special. Every Christian is gifted by varied grace. Now, I want you to go away I'm not making some, some, some therapeutic point, although the Bible does provide therapy, for sure. But, but if this is something that you wrestle with, what is my purpose and function in the church? I, I want you to know that the Bible teaches that you do have a purpose, and you do have a function. And one of the things that we need to do is to discover what that purpose and function is, and to do it. And to do it with all of our might. Now I'm going to come in a minute to, to suggest what that function m- might be. 
but, but my, I, was, I was typing, ordinary Christians need the help of pastor teachers because they're broken and deficient without them. Well, there are broken and deficient churches because they don't have pastor teachers. Who needs the church and its, well, officers? Who needs the church and its pastor teachers? Well, you do. That's the answer. You do. The body needs a lot of work done to it. So, what should I look for then in a church? Pastor teachers who love me enough to fix me. Well, who, who point out the areas in which you need to be fixed. And supply what I cannot get elsewhere. Right? That's a part of the answer to the question, what should I look for in a church? Pastor teachers who tell the truth and who expose us for what we are apart from Christ and apart from from his grace and apart from his gifting. Well, there's a fourth lesson from this passage, and it's this, that the saints are the one who do the ministry to. Now, obviously, pastor teachers do the work of ministry. No one, no one is going to argue about that unless you argue that there aren't any pastor teachers or that you don't need pastor teachers. But, but if you're following Paul's logic, pastor teachers do the work of ministry. But his point, at least according to the way the ESV has translated this passage, the point that Paul is making here is every member ministry. Not every member ministry in the sense that you don't need pastor teachers or that everyone is a pastor teacher. Not, not that kind of every member ministry, though it is sometimes used in that way. That's not what Paul is teaching here. But he's saying the purpose that God gives pastor teachers, elders if you like, bishops if you like, is so that fixed And supplied with what is lacking, every Christian may engage in ministry. Now now look at the translation in the ESV, the one that's printed in your text on page one. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. To equip the saints to do that work of ministry. Who who is doing the work of ministry? The saints. Well, the older translations, the King James Version, uh, for example, um, views what Paul is saying here and takes the three clauses as parallel clauses for the... he, He gives pastor teachers to perfect the saints for the work of ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ. It's the pastor teachers who are doing all three of those things. The ESV and, and, and most, I didn't, you know, if you're going to say the word most, then it means that you've checked every single one. And I didn't do that. 
Um, but my understanding is that most modern translations uh, translate in, in the same way that the ESV translates here. They take the first clause as referring to the gifted ones and the last, one as the, the last ones as the responsibility of the saints. Well, if you want a robust, and if you know anything about T. David Gordon, uh, it is a robust and a very Gordon-esque defense of the um, older view that it's the pastor teachers here who do the work of ministry. Um, and T. David Gordon uh, teaches at um, Pittsburgh, uh, n- uh, not Pittsburgh, um, Grove City, thank you, yes. Uh, teaches at Grove City College. And, uh, and I know him, uh, and, uh, uh, and if, you, if you know T. David Gordon, uh, then reading the first paragraph, you will see T. David Gordon standing right in front of you. Uh, in this, in this uh, article that I refer to here. Now, what are examples of every member ministry? Well, here's one example. Uh, Acts 8, 1 to 4. This is when Saul of Tarsus is, is breathing uh, th- threats and murder uh, against uh, the followers of the way, the followers of, of Jesus, uh, what later will be called Christians in Antioch. Now, those who were scattered went, and because of Saul's persecution, they, they left Jerusalem, part of the fulfillment uh, in the Acts narrative of the gospel going from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the uttermost parts of the world. And, and it does that partly initially through persecution. So all, those who were scattered went about preaching the word. And, and the implication, at least in that translation, is that everyone who was scattered does the preaching. It's it's the, it's the word euangelizomai, it's the word evangelism here. Everyone went about evangelizing. Everyone went about um, spreading the good news of the gospel or in uh, at least one um, paraphrase of this passage, everyone, everyone who, who left Jerusalem, persecuted, left Jerusalem, scattered, um, gospeled the gospel, not gossip, gospel gospeled as a verb, gospeled the gospel. Everyone did that. Now again, um, there are other interpretations of that passage, and for Scott Clark from Westminster West, for example, in his blog, uh, has a very robust um, defense of of, uh, another interpretation uh, other than the one I'm giving you now, that that it was every, every member was engaged in evangelism. Well, what is your gift? What am I gifted to do? I, I certainly think the New Testament says that you, as a Christian, have a responsibility um, in God's providence when an opportunity arises to speak about the gospel and to do so as clearly and as coherently as you possibly can. It may, be, it may be to your children. It may be to your family. It may be to your um, f- friends. maybe to the person, p- people that you work with. But, but what am I gifted to do? What if you're the only one who recognizes this gift that you have? 
And nobody else, nobody else recognizes it. I mean, you are absolutely persuaded that you have this gift, but nobody else recognizes this gift. Well, there's something a little odd about that, isn't there? You know, alarm, alarm bells should go off. I mean, if you're the only one who recognizes... I mean, there are times, and you, and, and, and you say to yourself, why doesn't anybody recognize that I have this gift? And it may be because you don't have it. It, it may be because you only think that you have it, or you wish that you had it. How can I utilize this gift for uh, the kingdom of God? I was talking to the nursery uh, workers this evening, and I was talking to um, the, the, the child care facility that we have here, and uh, they were telling me just how um, blessed they were on Sunday that, that folks came and uh, helped in looking after the scads of uh, children that were here for, for Easter. And, uh, and then it led into a conversation how difficult it is to get folk to do that. Well, do you have that gift? Can you look after children for an hour? In, in a way that, that, that is, uh, um, you know, helpful? Let me put it that way. Well, that's a gift that you have. It's not a big gift. It's not one uh, in, in, with neon lights. It's probably not going to be written down in first things. It's probably not going to be announced that you have this gift from the pulpit at any time, though, though it, it may. Then use it. Do you have a gift to encourage people? Some people have a real gift in encouraging people. There are, I could name people in this, in this audience this evening. Just look around you. There are people in here who have a real gift of encouragement. They can say the right thing at the right time. They can write a little note or uh, lift the phone and, and make a call. Or they can just say something. When they see you, they just, they just have, a, have a knack of saying something that's, re that's really encouraging. Well, use that gift. Maybe you didn't know you had that gift. Because it, it's, well, it's not a $10 gift. You know, and you think, you think, you think if you're going to have a gift that people are going to that people are going to talk about in the church. It has to be better than that. What can be better than a gift of encouraging people? You know, sometimes gifts are finding out what the needs are. What are the needs? Maybe it's to conduct a Bible study, or maybe it's to attend a Bible study. That could be a gift. You may not be the leader of this Bible study. You may never be asked to teach this Bible study, but your presence there means everything. Because you're like, uh, you're like a honeypot. And, and, and honeypots attract bees. And, and you have that, well, you have that, that gift. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a personality. It's a, it's a demeanor. And, and, and your presence there is, is the gift. Paul is talking here about every member ministry. Now, in, in a church like First Presbyterian Church, this is a, this is a huge issue. You know, we, we tend to be driven by the philosophy here that if there's a need, we hire somebody to do it. I mean, we do. We do. 
And it's typical of a lot of big churches, and we, we, we need to fight against that. Because there is so much that, that you could be doing. And we could save ourselves a few dollars and send those dollars to uh, Pakistan or wherever. Right? We, tend, we tend to think as a big church in terms of let's hire somebody to do this. Because we can afford to do that. And, and, and maybe, maybe what we need to do is to, um, I, I know the word voluntaryism has all kinds of associations in politics and philosophy and elsewhere, but, but let me use that word for now. There's, there's a sense in which we need to encourage one another in every member ministry. You know, part of the phenomenon that we see, and we see it a lot, and, and we are both, well, we are the recipients of it to some degree. Um, you know, the whole phenomenon of church hopping. Some people have it down to a fine art. I, I, I don't want to be blunt, but I'm going to be blunt. Because that's what Paul is addressing here. It's the attitude that says, what does this church got to offer me? Instead of saying, what what can I do for the body of Christ? What can I do for others? Recognizing that the ascended Lord has given to me gifts, opportunities, privileges to minister for him. And it may be in a very quiet way, then, then do it. Then do it. Um, point number five, very quickly. The aim of the ministry, that is every member ministry, is the building up of the body of Christ. Now, you notice uh, a, a lot of things here that Paul says, n- none of which we can explore in any great detail. All saints are gifted, some are gifted in special ways, and all need building up. To, to build up, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. That gift that you have, let's say, let's say it's the gift of encouragement. What's the function of that gift? To what end do I use that gift? To build up. It's not to build up myself. It's not to build up my reputation. It's to build up the body of Christ. It's to grow the body of Christ. Right? There's, there's, there's the part, let, let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. Right? The word, the, the, the word is used for an individual, but here in in Ephesians, it's for the whole body, to build up the body, to build up the entire community, to build up the entire bride of Christ. The church, and notice how Ephesians has spoken of the church as a building and a body and a bride. What does this building up of the church, building up of the body look like? When the the body gets built up, what does it look like? Well, I've been been thinking about this a lot 
over the last few weeks because I'm trying to build up um, a muscle or two that, that evidently isn't working properly and, and is kind of weak. And, and, and there are guys, you know, I'm not a guy who's ever been in a gym. I hate gyms. I don't like anything about them. There's nothing about it that I like. Um, but over the last couple of weeks, I've, I've met guys who come into gyms and I think, why are these people here? Because they look fit and well to me. Because they have huge muscles. What, what's, what's the aim here? What does is, what is being built up, what does it look like? And Paul spells it out. Unity of the faith. Yes, unity in the faith. Not, not unity at the expense of the faith. But unity in the faith. All the, all the parts fitly framed together and working together like a machine. Um, unity of knowledge until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the stature of the fullness of Christ. Well, that would take a week to expound. But at the very least, it means, what, what does this, what does is, what is building up look like? That the church looks more and more like well, like Jesus. That's it. That's the goal. I, I use my gifts in a way that builds up the body so that it looks more and more like Jesus. That's it. No longer tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Strong, mature, discerning faith and looking more and more like Jesus. Well, every member ministry. Well, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are as a body, as a bride, as a building, uniquely blessed by varied gifts here in the church all kinds of gifts, some in a corner and some very public and demonstrable. And we pray tonight for each other that we might discern what that gifting is and use it and employ it to grow the body of Christ into that, that unity of the faith and knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that as a body we might reflect more and more something of the beauty of the Lord Jesus. Well, grant your blessing, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen.